Welcome to Drinking and Talking with your host, Vincent Franconi. He's like, if you call me the other word, we can have a fight or a debate or an argument. He goes, but if you call me the sl- you call me slave, he's like, then it's like there's no argument to be had. It's it's, it's even more dehumanizing in an, in an ironic way. You're and whether or not that's a valid point or not, like I think it's interesting, but it's just like to do that to, to Mark Twain's book, first of all, ignores what I think, you know, the whole point of that book is, which is Jim is the smartest character in that book. But Absolutely. But ultimately, like, it, it's so fucking, like, there is a level of PC culture that I think is, like, it can go a little bit too far. But I also hate when, you know, people of, I'll say the boomer generation are, like, bemoaning the overly PC culture. Because sometimes sometimes that is just code for I can't get away with saying shit that I used to say that was both, fucked up. Both of these groups are fucking dumb. Like they're just like crazy, annoying, shitty people. Because because it's like Yelp. Like it's not like the normal the normal PC people or the normal boomer speak. Like they're just quiet. You don't notice them. You yeah, notice the yeah. people who are like the most outrageous because they're the one or five star Yelp reviewers, and they're and they and they ruin it for everyone. Kinda. I mean, it's always the loudest voices that get attention, but. At the same time, I think it's funny because, like, the last podcast I, I did, which, you know, we're still editing, was with uh, a colleague at school who teaches in sociology. And all she wanted to talk about was how, like, the millennials should wage a fucking war against the boomers for ruining the world. And I kind of kept pointing out, like, there's a generation between that I'm in of, yeah. you know, it's usually called Gen X. Like, you know, where do we fit into all of this? Because we do feel, I, I feel like the boomers get a lot of, like, fucking negative attention um you know and perhaps rightly so and the millennials get a lot of negative attention and again maybe rightfully so in some instances uh and we just kind of don't matter we're just sort of in the middle of these two like largely monumental generations there's a oh okay so this guy joshua glenn who used to work for the boston globe you're in the ideas section for a long time and now he's like um freelance sort of consultant for things but he wrote this article this series of articles for the boston globe before he left about the idea of generations and it like really it was like it started from a point of, of skepticism about what makes a generation because when you look at Generation X in particular, it was the first like really quantified post boomer generation. Like there's article upon article upon article about it, and none of it was fucking consistent. All of it was like it, dealing with dates, dealing with like uh, qualities, dealing with everything, and none of it really added up, right? So he went and did his own study of like I, the idea of a generation being essentially a 10 year period. And that if you took 10 year periods, starting from like the f- the five year of a decade going to the four year of the next decade, so 65 to 74, 75 to 84, you could sort of and looked at who their artists were. Like who did they listen to for music? Who did they read as books? And who out of that generation became artists that made movies? Or, or wrote things or whatever, like you started to get a much better feel for what that generation stood for and what they were influenced by than you do under these broad swaths of like 40-year generations. Like Gen, Gen X is like 1975 to 2000. Like that's an insane amount of time, right? Like that's that, yeah, doesn't, that, is. that doesn't make sense because I'm nothing like someone who was born in the year 2000 in the least. No. 
Oh no! And um, yeah, there's a new gener- There's a new category called ex-lennials for that for that for the record. Right. So like he he yeah, went through and, and and he went through and just sort of documented this, like not making making just sort of observations, but not like proclamations, not like this is how it should be, but like let's just choose randomly ten years per period starting at this point in time and just look at what was created and what 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 they these people are into, and it's fascinating, and it's like no, that makes a, that makes a lot more sense. It's it's really cool because like I ended up in a generation like my because I was born in seventy five and so I would have been in a generation different from yours but by like a two years or whatever and um the and Barely, yeah so like I had like Keith Gasson was born the same year that I was um it, we were very much influenced by like some of the same bands would cross over you'd see those over and over again but people that were very popular during the time were like slightly different and I forget if, if ours was like the first like anti anti-computer generation. It was like a weird, like we we're right on the cusp of where that became popular. Um, and so a lot of like the heroes are like the heroes of computer technology. And at the same time, there are a lot of heroes that were like the anti-computer technology. Hmm. So when you were like, so you were in high school, when did you graduate high school? 93. Then? Okay. So I graduated high school in 89. Okay. And I really feel like the difference between 89 and 93 is like palpable to me. So, so Nirvana's Nevermind was the most popular album when I graduated high school. Right. Whereas to me, it was probably like Welcome or what's that fuck? Appetite for Destruction or yep. Slippery When Wet or all that horrible shit. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like there was a such there was a shift around 92 yep. that I remember very, very well I because that's too. when I was going to college. Um, and then I remember like all the music trends changed, the fashion changed, yep. uh, attitudes politically started to change a lot. I mean, this is also like, I grew up in the era of Reagan and then it's just oh, like, shit. you know, after Reagan and Bush, um, like the first presidential election I was ever old enough to vote in was, uh, was, uh, Clinton versus oh, wow. Bush. Okay. Yeah. It was my first election. So like, that was like that era of 92 is where I really like, that's my line of demarcation for a lot. Um, you know, of like me being a young kid in high school who was thought this way and then being like a, a slightly, um, more mature person who started to think differently. And like artistically, that's also where I started to like, you know, read differently, like growing up in high school, I, all I want to do is read like Stephen King books and all this kind of shit. And then like, suddenly I'm like reading poetry and, you know, fucking beat novels and shit that you read when you're in your (laughs) twenties and Bukowski and shit like, you know, It's like, for it's, Kathy Acker. That was my favorite couple oh, author. Man. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. She's getting a lot of press lately, by the way. A I'm lot trying of, like, to make that happen as much. I've talked to Grove multiple times about how they need to reissue all of her books. When the new introductions, been, they're reissuing one. Yeah. But they said that because her books don't sell. No, they don't. I'm sure. But. I don't give a shit. Fuck that. I don't give a shit. But you know how much shit stuff. I give they're, about they're, what they need to sell? Fuck you, Grove. Like, they're like unlike anything else I've ever looked at in my life. So um, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Roxanne Gay like at all. But like people who love Roxanne Gay and love like uh, Chris Krause for I Love Dick and like the things that are like happening now, those people need to read Kathy Acker. I don't think they could handle Kathy Acker. I, I've looked at <laughs> Roxanne Gay. I don't think any Roxanne Gay fan could deal with what Acker was putting down on the page. Frankly, Roxanne Gay sicked her uh, minions on me on Twitter. During really? the Super Bowl a few years ago, yeah. Because I, I said I didn't had, give a shit you've about You've had your Beyonce. issues with her, right? You've, you've said some shit about her. I said I didn't give a shit about Beyonce. Or, oh, or yeah. her halftime show. Yeah, well, neither do I. I mean, what's so wrong with that? Oh, oh. <laughs> Sit down, white boy. 
Oh Jesus! Don't really? tell me. Yeah, that's literally what the tweet was back. And then, and then, then I was immediately blocked, and like four thousand people uh, tweeted at me about how I was a, a horrible human being. Yeah, it's because you don't like Beyonce. I mean, Talking just because you don't like her music, really. or you just no. I just didn't care about the halftime show. I was like very. I'm a Carolina Panthers fan. I was very invested in this game. I was very upset by how it was going. I don't care about halftime shows. I hate halftime shows. I yeah, they're, they're bullshit stupid. anyway. They're yeah. stupid. I, I don't care. Like if you use it for like your uh, like sort of um, quasi Black Panther. Uh, nod or any political thing. I don't care. That's fine. I don't have any problem with that at all. I don't have a problem with Beyonce. I just don't give a fuck about halftime shows. Well, that's logical. I mean, like, I remember the one you're talking about. I mean, I didn't watch the game, but I know what you're talking about. It's where everybody got really bent on his shape because they thought that she was making some militant Black Panther statement, which I completely applaud. Like, go for it. That's Mm -hmm. fine. My biggest problem with Beyonce, if we're going to talk shit about her for a second, is that I feel like she is the person who will pick up on a trend a little late. Like, I feel like she's late. She's late to the militancy. She's late to feminism. She's late to all those things. And and like everybody who sort of follows her and goes, oh, yeah, Beyonce, you know, hashtag feminism, Beyonce, all the single ladies. But it's like, you know, where were you five years? Where were you fucking 10 years ago? Like, I feel like she picks up on those things way after she should. The other thing I pointed out that was not helpful. Sorry, go on. No, 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 no. That's the other thing I pointed out that was not helpful <laughs> was that the last time she was on the um, the halftime show, she con- she had her publicist contact people who had taken pictures that were unflattering of her to delete them from their websites. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That's not cool. No, that's not cool. Like but you said that, and, and Roxanne Gay went off on you, and yeah, all yeah, she went off, and, and all of her friends did too. Yeah. Well, you're the one who told me that she's like a kind of a diva and yep. to publishers and expects to be put up in like the fucking penthouse suites and shit she's got yeah she's got but one of my friends is, it. she's working the system yeah one of my friends follows her on twitter and i guess i guess on twitter she's really sort of famous for like in the middle of a class she's supposed to be teaching she's just tweeting the whole time <laughs> oh my god i don't know i mean <sighs> she could be a great thinker i don't have any real idea but like um but like people who are into her if they would read kathy acker they'd be like oh this is where this some of this came from there Kathy Acker's I mean, crazy shit. Yeah, Kathy Acker's pretty pretty intense and and and, and incredible. So I mean, like, I only know a, a little bit about like Roxanne Gay, so it's not like I can really compare. But I do feel like, in my maybe half or ill-informed view, uh, I stand by my statement that the average like reader of Bad Feminist would pick up fucking Blood and Guts in high school and not know what the hell to do with themselves, or like you know, Pussy Queen of the Pirates. Fucking One of my favorite my books. <laughs> Favorite I mean, albums too. Oh, Mekons, yeah, yeah. Mekons and Kathy Hacker. Bring yeah. it back. That's I think where I first started to listen to the Mekons is because of me that. Me too. But, Same. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I read the the book and I was like, holy shit! There's a there's an album. I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get all their albums. Fucking love Kathy Hacker. But she like okay. So maybe you're right. Like they 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 would not not know what to do. But like the the sort of feminist movement of the moment i think wouldn't it it, it doesn't need this i'm not I'm not trying to prescribe anything but i think that they would really enjoy i think they would enjoy Kathy Acker on some level because she did sort yeah. of break things and create a create a way of talking about about experience and life and art in a way that's totally other that that's, that's not like how anyone else did it like no one's written like her before or after like she sort of broke things and i think that 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 a lot of people would find that sort of empowering i would think 
Maybe I'm wrong. No, no, Maybe no. I'm I think totally you're wrong. absolutely right. There's an argument for that for sure. I, I, I just feel like she's. I feel like she died too soon, and she was working probably in the right era for her. She was part of that whole like downtown uh, New York thing. Yeah. So she was able to like carve out that niche. But I almost feel like if she was alive and working now, she would be like the biggest thing because there's there's an yes. audience for it. But I feel like the audience now is becoming. I don't want to say that they're that they're reading the wrong things because that's fucking condescending. No, yeah. But I, I do feel like, like your argument that Kathy Acker should be bigger uh, with the current audience of of, of say like feminists um, makes sense to me. But I feel like if she was alive and working now, she would be explosive. But because she's from the '80s and she's dead, um, and, and and you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like she's not marketed well or something. Maybe Grove that, doesn't have the juice. That's the thing that I think is that if Grove did this, they could do this and do it right. If they put like if they had the right introductions from like the right people, it would be I would it would be a fucking monumental, amazing moment for those books right now. Like this is a better moment than ten years ago, than seven yeah. years ago. Like this is the moment now that if you got that all lined up, you have half Roxanne Gay write the intro to one of these books. That's what I was gonna say. If you had like Blood and Guts in High School reissued with an intro by Roxanne Gay, yeah. that would be huge. Do yeah. all let all bring out all of them and commit to it fully. Don't just be like, well, we'll do Blood and Guts and see how it does. Like, okay, that's that's fucking you have a fucking billion dollars. You're grove. Like, fuck you. You have these books are selling two or three thousand copies every year. You can afford to invest in printing something and giving someone five hundred bucks to write a goddamn intro and put I mean, a they cover are, they, on they it. Do have a, they do have a backlist. I mean, they've got they Samuel Beckett for Christ's sake. No shit. They've got like a ton of her. All have Jean Genet. I mean, yeah. you know, there's there's some names they've got on their on their backlist for sure. They Henry used to be Pope, cool. Then they po- <laughs> they used to be cool. They're not. Grove is so not cool anymore it's unbelievable to me well, who was the who was the guy who founded who's dead now right uh oh, don't uh, tell me that he died i want to believe that he's still alive forever is barney he alive Rossett? i don't know barney yeah, i thought he died maybe he i don't know totally died but i don't want to know that so i'm not yeah. going to know that i mean grove is a pretty edgy press if you look at like what it, like grove and new directions and like those kinds of legendary small presses were putting out some pretty radical shit that i think like reader like a reader like me who, you know, picks up something like a fucking Genet or a Beckett book, um, takes for granted because it's, it's pretty canonized stuff now, but like, like everybody I know who's like reading and and is, you know, interested in literature is probably familiar with a lot of the stuff, but to consider like the impact of these books at the time and like, you know, what these presses were probably, how they were probably limping along, um, you know, new directions is pretty, I mean, and there are still a small press and so is Grove, but I mean, they probably have more juice. I'm sure than you do. Um, you know, cause you guys, you know, Christ. Yeah. So it's just like, if you're putting out fucking, you know, villainous poker for Christ's sake, Grove can, can reissue, you know, um, something a little, that's just as bizarre and radical and challenging and fun. Seriously, man up Grove. So Barney Rossett died five years ago. That's depressing. Uh, yeah, I thought I, so. I thought I read his bit a few years ago. And so I don't know who's reading Grove now. Maybe they're just, you know. It's Morgan Entrican. And Morgan's a really nice guy, but I don't think he's, I think he's more in the libertarian capitalist vein than Barney was, or Barney wanted to just do the craziest shit. 
And so I met Barney Rossett. So I had one, so um, Margarita Shalina, who used to be the buyer for St. Mark's Bookstore when it existed, yeah, worked yeah. with him a lot. And um, and so uh, one time I went to sell her books, and I was working for Delkey, I believe, but it may have been around the time they left and then started Open Letter. Um, right around there, she was like, you need to come with me to see Barney because we can just go to his house, hang out, he'll tell us stories. You're probably never going to have a chance to meet him again because he's going to die. And I was like, okay, I'm in. So I went there and sat like at his feet on the ground and listened to him tell stories about what he did as the publisher of Grove from years back. And like how he'd just be like, I knew that people would sue us over this. And I'd be like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great publicity. Jesus, I want to be sued. I'm doing like uh, things that are just considered obscene because it's like lesbian sex and whatever. I'm, I'm going to publish all of that because then people will sue me. People will pay attention. I would. It was the best thing that was happening to us as a publisher. I'm telling you. I mean, they were pretty. They were pretty radical with they a lot of the stuff the they're putting out. Fucking best. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I have I still an old the, Evergreen I, review. I still have a copy of that in my basement. I might have that too. I have a lot of old growth. Like those, are, like I, a lot of the yeah. books that I keep because of the aesthetic quality of it. Um, like one of them is definitely, uh, anything that comes out from, from Grove. I always like yeah. that. I still have like old copies of Beckett stuff for but, sure, but not anymore. Like their new books are fucking bad. Like, I don't, I don't mean well, to be a they're, dick, but like, they're, they're not good. Now. They're not good. They're just, they're really not. They're, they're, they're uninteresting. They're uninspired. It's very mainstreamy and very like complacent. Like it's 100% just complacent. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Like, if you want to make it in the marketplace, and that's what they want to do is be the marketplace, then you do what you, you do what Grove does now. If you want to be a fucking force in the the nature of our world, you're Grove from 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's I can't imagine. You'd have to be slightly mad to probably pull off what they were pulling off. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's a fine. really strange backlist, but. But again, like think about like the, the people that they were like them, New Directions, a lot of these presses were putting out that um, again, like they're, they're so sort of like, you know, they're so entrenched, like we know these names, but like there must have been a certain, I mean, the risk involved in publishing, you know, some of the stuff was, was probably pretty huge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but really, like getting sued over obscenity seems like the best thing to get sued over. I guess that's true. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know. I mean, that's that's like back a judgment call. Ju- yeah, back to you. That's a judgment call, one hundred percent. Like it's 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 very titillating to a lot of the audience. They'd be like, "Oh, this book was tra-. like Lady Chatterley's Lover." Didn't they do that? I may be lying about that. Yeah. Fuck it. it doesn't matter. They did. They as of this moment in time, they published that. That's awesome. Like people <laughs> bought that book because they were like, "Oh, it's gonna have like crazy sex in it," and and I don't even think it does. No, no, no. It's, it's not, not that bad. It's, it's really not. not. But like, it's if, very overblown. If people are like, oh, that's obscene. Well, it's nothing like Kathy Acker where, you know, as my friend Ron, my old boss at the, who recommended her to me uh, at the bookstore, um, and this is a guy that I didn't really expect to be reading stuff like Kathy Acker. Uh, this is a guy who in the 80s, all my friends who knew him then said that he wouldn't read any fiction. He read only history. And if he was going to condescend to read something that was fiction, it would be Wolf, Faulkner, Shakespeare, and Melville. Those were like the only four that he would read. He was like very like serious dude, but he loved Kathy Acker. Because she and, uses all of them. Yeah, because he saw something in there that was equally as risky and daring and exciting. 
And like, I remember like picking up blood and guts and he was just like, Oh, there's a fucking perverse sex act every other page. You're going to love it. And like, that was kind of like the worst way of really selling it because yeah, it's, it's not exactly that. true. But at the same time, like he was kind of like having fun with it, like as a joke. And when I read it, like I read it for the reason of like a lot of people read stuff because they, they think it's going to be pretty titillating and sensationalistic. Um, but it's so much bigger and deeper and more fun. Dude, she named a book Don Quixote. <laughs> that's such balls. Like, that's amazing. She's amazing. Well, I, I got her I got her bio the other day, the one by Chris Krauss, the one that just came out. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm psyched to read that because I want it, to. It's going to make me though. I know I'm not going to read it right now. I'm going to read it in the summer or not over winter break over in the summer because then I'm going to want to reread all those books because I read yeah. those fucking in 1995. Like yeah, it's almost everything. She died in 98, maybe. Yeah, yeah, late 90s. And Pussy King say. of the Pirates is the last book, and that was one of the first ones I read because I saw that and was like, "Whoa, this is fucking baller!" Like she doesn't use paragraphs the right way, and like this, <laughs> this looks like an experimental thing. I like oh, experimental yeah. things. Like I want to be different than all the people that are surrounding me at this Big Ten University. Um, I'm gonna do this, and then I <laughs> well, just there, deep there's your, into there's it. your key into that. Read, yeah, read Kathy Acker. You're on. I mean, a lot of people, and you're you're there because a lot of people I know were very like hostile and resistant to her books when she was publishing them in the '90s, or I want to say the the early '90s when I first heard of her. People were very like, even people I know who are big, um, you know, like lit fans were like, no, Acker. Like they were very dismissive of for some reason. But um, I, again, it was kind of like uh, a lot of stuff. Like like people don't really know what to do with this yet. So yeah. we need to sort of like either embrace it or just take a few years. That's um, very true. I don't know what's going on with it now, but uh, did you? Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. If they reissue them, they'll be big. It's the same thing with Stanislaw Lem. But what were you going to say? Uh, I was going to like kind of I was going to ask you, like one of the people that like I'm thinking about, like, who's big now in, in international literature, period, who is because uh, I'm thinking about like how I feel like maybe one of the reasons I'm reading a little less. uh uh, fiction is because I feel like so much of it is, is very safe. And I think like, obviously I'm not keeping up with like what you've put out in the last six months, which is probably to my detriment. So I'll be catching up soon. But it's like a lot of the reason why I always went to your press was because like you were publishing things that I thought were really interesting where it's like, I, cause I remember reading like the last piece by uh, Dubrovka, Ukrisic that was in, um, I want to say publishers weekly or some fucking mm-hmm. magazine where, where one of the things that she was talking about is kind of like the complacency people have yeah. as consumers of culture. And she specifically name checked Elena Ferrante as being like, <laughs> Why is it that everybody is so fucking gaga over this writer. She's not and into that. I just, I, I, I'm wondering if I'm alone in that. So it's good to know that maybe I'm not. Cause no, like, the people who really are big right now are like her and Canusgard, who I like, but it's just like, I kind of wonder if maybe I'm like, there's a moment about a year ago where I'm like, I'm not really loving everything I'm that I'm allegedly supposed to be loving that people who I usually agree with are, are sort of writing think pieces about. And so I kind of, kind of tuned out for a little while. Cause I felt like the current trend was like after Bolaño and, and Zabold and that sort of like those guys who were big for a while, like when, when they were translated into English, uh, which is really great and revolutionary stuff to me. Like, I yeah. feel like it just got to be, there's nothing that I've read that, that's, that's quite as like interesting. And like somebody like Acker or somebody who's doing something completely different. I just don't, I'm not sure if I'm just not aware of it or what, but I'm just not seeing it. So I'm kind of getting a little bored. I think I have a lot to say about this. Let us pause for one more second. I'm going to get a drink and use the bathroom really quick. All right. Thing. Is that cool? Okay. Two seconds. We'll be back.
right, okay, so the new weird shit. So here's one of the problems with that. Like, I think that, like, um, even Knossgard is not super original. Like, he's doing something fairly well um, that is semi-unique, but it's not like autofiction didn't exist before him. And yet, I'll go, let me go into that. Let me go into that for a deep moment, and I'll come back. I mean, this sure. this is drinking and talking. This is the drinking part of the drinking part. Oh, uh, indeed. God, God damn it. You know what I mean. So, anyways, so <laughs> Kanoskar's deal is basically, uh, the thing I like about it is that it glacially moves and creates structures of thought. And it's, it works like a sort of a fugue um uh, fugue storytelling method where like there's the beginning part and then it drops down it goes through the memories it's very very much memoir-esque but like somewhat stylized but the style is basically a style of qu- the quotidian like all that kind of thing all the things that people yeah. talk about fine people have done that for a fuck long time especially french women this is a thing that was a huge moment in French literature in the 80s and 90s among French women to like write that sort of book um, about their lives and to like really like essentially heighten the the quotidian nature of what a woman's life was like in France, especially related to mother being mother being um, being a wife being in that situation, and so he sort of like popularized a thing that already was sort of popular and now we have people like ben lerner who fuck ben lerner um has 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 taken this and there's articles that are like the new trend like michelle dean who's a goddamn awful critic um and won the award for like the best critic writing from the national book critic circle which just goes to show that that organization is bankrupt but um they Gave her an award, and she's written stuff about like how Ben Lerner has has invented this new American style of auto fiction, where it's auto like the 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 these uh, she doesn't call it auto fiction, but it's like the biographical fiction memoir thing. Like that's existed forever, but fucking people don't pay attention or know things, and it's not that they're young or whatever; they're just dumb. And like, and and they don't, they don't, they're not aware of the history of this. And so, Knoskart, I like, and I like those books. I don't like Ben Lerner's books very much at all, because um, I feel like they're insincere and like this affectation that runs throughout. Like they're just like they're like affectation writ large. And I was also did a. Um, uh, whatchamacallit, a writer's residency in Marfa, and he had been there, and that's when he wrote that 1004 book. Um, yeah. And he went around asking people in Marfa, like, tell me the craziest thing that's ever happened in Marfa. And they're like, we never even saw you before. Like, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm Ben Lerner. I'm blah, blah, blah. He's like, tell me the story, because I'm going to put it in my book as if it happened to me. And that's what he did. <laughs> so it's like, A, a lie. B, not good. It's not well written. It's not interesting. Um, it, but uh, but he's like praised as like creating a new genre. Like fuck you. That's not true. That's not a thing. So and Elena Fronte does a different genre, which I I'm not a, a fan of either. But um, I mean I'm more of a fan of Kanoskar than Fronte. But I respect Fronte's uh, bit, like with the four books with the ne- Neapolitan quartet. Mm-hmm. I really really like Days of Abandonment. I feel like Days of Abandonment is raw and gutty and like crazy like that book is an intense emotionally difficult book to read and that's good and i feel like these ones are like interesting they're fine they're well constructed they're sort of like george Eliot sort of books to me like they're they're of that vein they they make sense there's nothing that's like 
I, I don't. I'm not surprised that they're popular. I don't think that they're like particularly edgy. They're like they are what they are, and that's good. And they do that well. They do a thing that's interested no. well. Yeah, I don't think there's anything like I don't have a problem with her books, the ones that I've read, but I do feel like there's there's something that I think the best of, of what she does is really really kind of a subtle, quiet sort of like yeah. um, dread that I feel whenever I'm reading her books. And I really kind of appreciate that, um, but I don't necessarily like. I guess it's just I don't really get like the absolute like praise and hype that, that people are piling on um, her specifically. Uh, even though I think it's fine stuff and probably well-deserved, but I just don't necessarily know that it's like, I wonder if it's like a lot of people say, like when you've eaten a bologna sandwich for a long time, like, you know, a Subway sandwich suddenly seems amazing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems like a really good metaphor. And that's, and that's, that's absolutely true. But the, um, the idea of like people finding interesting, edgy, interesting, strange, interesting, uh, complex international fiction has sort of gone by the wayside because it's become too popular. Like we, like we helped make it popular, and I think that that's important that people are having access to international literature through Words Without Borders, through Open Letter, through like all the people that were working around the same point in time. That's all great, but now everything's so fucking trendy that like. A lot of a lot of press, a lot of books are being being uh, praised for just being the new thing, and like, and I don't yeah. think that they're trying to find something that's unique or interesting. I think they're trying to find the thing that's most marketable, and the market hasn't changed. So the thing that's the most marketable is the thing that's most American, and that's well, unfortunate. That doesn't. I mean, that doesn't really see. I mean. That's interesting because, like, the criticism that everybody has, like all the literati, is that American fiction sucks because it's the MFA is just making it all so cookie cutter, and that's why we turn to, yeah. you know, something that's that, that's that's foreign because there's a certain like you know they're doing things differently, which is kind of maybe bullshit and there's a, some exoticism in there which i definitely yeah. have an issue with but i kind of almost get that because like there is a certain trend that i know is a very american mfa kind of thing that i don't give a shit about the, the david foster wallace jonathan friends and libro thing hey that, like, I like I david that is, foster wallace i like david foster wallace's essays but you know i don't really give a shit about i, I like david foster wallace but i his, his accolades that are like so fucking fiercely defensive of him can you know can fuck me out Okay, can we uh, let's put a, p- a pause here for one second because you you still have twenty minutes. I have seventeen percent. The um so the David Foster Wallace thing, the accolades thing, is so weird to me because I don't think that most people that talk about or that the the people that you're categorizing, who I know who you're categorizing, like the the sort of the the generic person who's like a big David Foster Wallace fan, um, generally hasn't read them. Read read Infinite Jest at least, right? And has I don't know. I guess yeah. probably not. I just, just probably not. I mean, they really, they're familiar with it. They degree. know that it's a thing. They know that it's a thing. Like our expectations and our sort of like weird way of like uh, America is so steeped in this weird branding identity based on uh, of things you carry around. Uh, I mean, it's just sort of. I mean, that's how I always tell you. When I was growing up, you had to have polo shirts. I had a generic polo shirt in uh, in in high school and everyone made fun of me like endlessly and that's sort of the same thing now like that that, no, you're that that people use david foster wallace as that representation of their brand that's dumb but the books are not dumb the books are really good. no 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 i have nothing that's why i think his i think the guy was undisputably a genius yeah in a way that like you know is is, is once in a generation kind of a genius i mean there's no like 
beef that I have with him uh, or hostility I even have with him. But it is something where I do recognize that people use him, uh, I think, as a kind of like, you know, a branding thing, like you're saying, where it's that sort of, um, I don't know, there's something there's something about it that, that always kind of like, like when in the 90s when Infinite just came out, like I did sort of think that it was a little too cute and clever for me to a point where I was a little turned off by it, but like I came around to, to that book and, to his, and now I think like, yeah. And I, well, I think like his, like whenever I read his essay collections, I'm always like staggered by like how not only perfect a writer he was as far as just putting a fucking sentence down. That's so perfect. But just like, you know, the, the sort of breadth of everything that he was able to put into like a small essay um, or even, you know, which, which always kind of struck me as like as big and bombastic as infinite just is, he could pull that off in like a 10 page thing too, which is always kind of amazing. Franzen on the other hand, I will not defend. Fuck that. Franzen. Um, I won't, I, and I know this is a ridiculous statement to make, but like, okay, so David Frost and Al Wallace would never remember me if he was alive, but I knew him for a number of years. Like we had dinner okay. many times. Um, and he's, I think that he was a really good person. And um, and really struggled with it's sort of like, I, again, not not I don't want to speak towards this, but like there was a struggle with the sort of thing you're talking about. He was listed in um, was it GQ or wherever one of these magazines as one of the 10 most eligible bachelors in New York when before <laughs> Infinite Jest came out. He never lived there. And he was just like, this is really this is uncomfortable. Like That's he was beautiful. very uncomfortable with every part of that. So like, no, I sense that from everything I've read and, and heard about, like, yeah, I, I can believe that. Yeah. And as, as someone who has a, a Thomas Pynchon tattoo on their arm, I'm going to say still, isn't fandom maybe the thing that ruins art nowadays? That because you can be a fan yeah. and find other fans, that's what fucks things up. Like, I know that you've never watched Rick and Morty and that you yeah. have the the reception of the Rick and Morty fans that were upset about the Szechuan sauce thing, yes. um, which is stupid as fuck. That show is great. That show no, is um, I, great. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel mad that I that I'm sort of my, my only experience of that show is through the fucking bullshit story connected to it. I know nothing yep. about the content of that show. And if you watch, there's an episode. There's I've I've gotten people to watch those episodes at the house. Like a few people I've introduced it to, like Tom Robert, who I think you know, um, and Patrick Smith came or uh, were visiting, and I was like, you guys should see the show because you're gonna like it. And like we'd watch one particular episode, and they'd be like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Like it's it's so good, and um and it really is. But like fandoms ruin things. No, totally they do because fandom is definitely the. Uh, like it's no longer about the actual like like actually dissecting or analyzing or discussing uh the thing itself it, yeah. it has become like an identifying thing where people band together yeah um with some kind of like some kind of brand or symbol it's kind of like star wars to me like i don't give a fuck about star wars one way or the other anymore but like whenever i say that to people i feel like they getting they getting bent out of shape about that is always funny to me because it's like i have nothing against star wars i enjoy the movies when i watch them but like the people who identify with something so deeply sometimes and i say this hesitantly because jeff you know our, my producer and good friend is like you know a complete star wars fanatic like it, i'm not making fun of that but i feel like sometimes some of my friends a little more like they identify that with that so deeply that like there there's this hostility or this like inability to truly evaluate anything anymore because it no longer exists as a thing we can discuss it exists as this like unifying fucking thing yeah bigger and and, and more more abstract 
it is it's so interesting and i don't know that this was the same way so like when i was in college this is also going to date me and make me a little bit younger than you are and it probably won't ring true but like our thing with our relationship to the internet was finding tablet tab guitar tab guitar tablature for pavement songs like and and oh, pavement no, was I love pavement. and so like but like there were like seven people who liked pavement in, in the university, yeah. I went to Michigan State. It's a giant university. There were like a handful of people who I knew who were actively into pavement, and like, and we became. I mean, you immediately, if you're into pavement, are branded as like a snob, a sort of dick because like you like wordplay and non-linear structure, or whatever, and um, and that's all fine. But like that as ourselves like when you're when you're a fan of a, a band like that and you find someone else who's a band like a fan of a band like that in real life you're just like fuck man that's awesome you're my best friend now and um and literally yeah. one of my literally one of my best friends it was because we bonded over that so but now the fandom is different like you're part of a generalized societal moment where you can contact all of those fans instantly or get to know a lot of people. It's not. And, and, and because of that, it's, I'm not saying that that's bad per se, cause it's nice to not feel alone sometimes, but like there is something about the idea of it being so grand that, that it sort of cycles back and makes the thing itself more important than it is. Like in the end, pavement's yeah. a fine band. Pavement's great, but is pavement the best band ever? Probably not. Like probably not the probably whatever. Like they're they're they were super fun. They had cer- certain sort of meaning towards me, and they don't towards other people. Cool, but it was like a smaller, more individual like n- like thing that I found people to like relate to and to to like live my life with like you only get so many years you get to live like your years with the people that you really care about for a short period of time and i cared about people who cared about pavement because they tended to be the people i liked and and that made me very happy and now i feel like it's so anonymous so i feel like i feel like the david foster wallace fan base is not the david foster wallace fan base it was in 1999 i hated him in 1999 i hated him till i met him like, I didn't like his books at all. I thought they were pretentious P- uh, Thomas Pynchon ripoffs. And then I met him, and I was like, oh, you're this guy. And then I read it, and I was like, you know what? It's that guy all the way through. But, like, there's no way to see this. Yeah. It, unless you unless you see him just being him, it doesn't it, – it rings weird, I think. No, it does get taken away from, like, the actual like, – like, what you say about pavement is interesting because there's a lot of people, I think, like when I was in the eighties, it was such a big thing to be into punk rock. And like part of the tenets of punk rock is that as soon as something became popular, um, outside of your little circle, like you just abandon it. Yeah. Fuck it. Which is like such, such stupid bullshit. But I feel like that's still like a thing with the internet that's just blown up more where it's just like the purity code of how, true a fan are you and then it becomes like this def- like this weird defensiveness that everyone has about their particular thing that they're into but it's like you're right pavement is you know a great band they have a record that i think is one of like my i would i list as like a 10 one of my 10 favorite records which one, is, which one do you go um, with sun and oh uh, you're crooked rain okay that guy that album is, and it took me five years to like that record i hated that record really? for five years and then one day yeah, all my friends were into it, and I didn't give a shit. And then one day I put it on. I'm like, "This is genius. This is great. I love it." Every time so like quarantine, I, I still, quarantine the past, that line will make me cry till I die. Oh yeah, it's great stuff. Everything about that record is great. It is, but it's like, the best. But I yeah. do sort of know what you mean. Like, 
if it is a thing where like you could, I knew a lot of people who were very bonded by their indie rock love of that band. And like people are bonded by, you know, a writer or or a fucking movie or some sort of cultural thing. And now I feel like the internet, like that's how people start to form communities. And I think that's great. But like, if you have, like, I feel like there's just as many people who are waiting to shit all over their community. It's becoming like a war of who can, you know, be into the the thing that they're supposed to be into more. Like the punk rock ethos has really taken off. It's way easier to be into something that a lot of people will favor you for. Yeah. There's an easy path that's right there. It's sitting there. Like, it's almost like the making fun of Trump thing is a good example of this. Like, who doesn't hate Trump? Okay. Some people, but not very many. (laughs) All of anyone who's listening to this probably hates Trump. I hate Trump. I hate Trump. Whatever. So making jokes about him is an easy, it's an easy path. And I don't know, like, the idea of, like, coming up with the best witticism about his newest uh, fuck-up so that you can get a lot of likes is really the way we should be living our lives. Yeah, it's funny to watch, like, every comedian I admire try and find the best, like, joke. Um, you know, like Patton Oswalt called him uh, a racist scrotum dipped in Cheeto dust, yeah. which is clever and funny. And I laughed at it, but it's like, yeah. again, like every comedian I've, I've, I've been paying attention to in the last year has found like a new, like hilarious thing to say. And it is kind of like, you know, you do that, you know, you're going to get a certain group of people who are yep. going to like retweet it and quote it and so forth. And that's, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's what I want to live for. <laughs> What those insulated communities of people who are bonded by like their their their, their artistic or political tastes? It's like you, it's like it's like making fun of Bon Jovi. Like it's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, but it's they're super easy. It. Like yeah, no, no, no. I, they're totally it is fish a barrel. You're right. I was like, trying to go back. I was trying to go back in time and try and figure out like what did we used to make fun of that was like the easy thing to make fun of. And like I'm sure there were things I can't think of. But like regardless, like always going for that easy target. It yeah. was was there, but like now it gets quantified. Like your number of page views is of value to you. It's a money, and and so yeah, like, like it, it, and you never go broke with that though. I mean, like it's an easy way to score some likes, right? That's that. Fuck that. I well, be, I mean, I, think, I want things like, to be are, difficult or interesting, yeah. unique. If you're going to be growing people, you should be drawing them in for something a little more complex, I guess. I am nice and drunk. Um, <laughs> good, good. This has been a success. I'm glad. I love this. This is super fun. I also have like barely any power left in my computer, so I'm just going to warn you. I, we'll need to shut down because I don't. I need to close this off before it kills our recording. I will definitely shut down in a sec, but it's glad I'm glad to see the whole point of this podcast is to get people drunk, which is funny because I have a lot of friends who are sober now and I, and I want to invite them and they can listen to me drink, I guess, but, um, (laughs) they have to drink themselves, man, fucking sober people. No. Well, at least two of them really needed to get like they were seriously needed well, to stop drinking. Yeah, like, <laughs> but I, I mean, feel them. them. I feel the pain, but not too deeply. But, you know. No, no, no. My ex-wife has like she's in in rehab and recovery for a long time. It got it got really, really, really bad. I mean, it's not not necessarily my place to say on a on a public podcast, but like at the same time, she would not say this because she's she's open about it. But like she got to the point where like she wasn't taking the kids to school or feeding them and like things got real fucked up. 
like real bad. And uh, Child Protective Services was involved through court cases, all of that kind of stuff. So she had ended up having to go away for like six weeks to North Carolina to get sober. And so like I understand that level of like needing to be sober. Absolutely. Meanwhile, no, I, exactly. I fucking Me. love whiskey and wine. Oh, it's the greatest thing. It's the fucking highest achievement man has ever. I mean, uh, it's, it's the best. I, I My job is, is day after day of not enjoying things. And this is the enjoyment. This is the yes. enjoyment moment for me. It's, it, 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 there's very few things that I can count on. And that is one of them. You know, I Absolutely. can count on whiskey always. What are you? Which whiskey are you drinking? You said you were drinking some Canadian. Yeah, Forty Creek, which is like it's not oh. it's not a special Canadian whiskey per se. I don't think. But I was at this stupid hipster bar in Rochester that I really did not like, and uh, and I went to them and I was like, "What do you have? Like, do you have like Jack Daniels?" And they're like, "No, we don't carry that. We have Forty Creek." And I was like, "Okay." whatever fucking hipster stupid rochester bar you're not hip you're in rochester stop (laughs) pretending this is stupid quit putting on a show and they gave it to me and i was like this is good shit like it's a little sweet it's a little canadian sweet irish sweet in that way and uh as i was driving home from toronto the brewery or the distillery is right off the high excuse me right off the highway so i went there and i was like oh i can just they have a liquor store and i bought like uh one of their fancy bottles of like their special copper pot uh distilled whiskey and i was like i'm fucking in this is what i'm drinking and it's so good i love it it's it's particularly me i don't think other people would really like it because it's like a little sweet a little bit like a little smoky but not like fully in either camp like it's not it's not yeah. either of those. It's not Royal Crown, and it's not like uh, Jim Beam. I don't. Jim Beam's a terrible example. Um, it's not like Buffalo Trace, but like it's right. in between those two. You know, Canadian whiskeys are kind of um, underrated. I think by my whiskey friends, like I have people, I like people only drink bourbons. And I have like big Scotch drinkers, and my that I know. Uh, I drink a lot of Jameson and a lot of Irish whiskey. I drink, I'm like I'm drinking Tolmar Dew right now, so uh, that's my, my kind of go to. Dude, I have a story for you that, that okay, you're going to love this. So you need to come to Rochester for one reason only. There's this bar that I'm not sure of the name of it. No, one has, ever, no one has ever said I need to go to Rochester for the record. You have okay, to please. come here for this. <laughs> this is so good. Let's do some sort of weird-ass event. Let's put something together. I'll get you in. Oh, we have a writer's conference next next summer on Bloomsday. Oh. Do you want to do a Bloomsday event with me? Yes, during our totally. Okay. In. Yes. I'll figure this out. So yes. Okay. So we're gonna do this. It'll be great. You're gonna you'll be perfect. Cavalries, you have to come on Friday night because Cavalries or Calvaries, we're never sure what the name is. It's totally misspelled. It's some fucking weird bar that's like a tiny little bar on this little street that's not too far from my house and not too far from the from the university. It's an Irish bar owned by this really old, crazy Irishman. And if you go in there on Fridays and he's working and you say, I would like a whiskey and a Guinness, it's four dollars. You get a fucking like four shot Tullamer Dew and a Guinness. Oh, dear God. And it's after three of those. It's the best yes. night ever. <laughs> That's literally what I've been drinking this whole time. He's, That's great. Oh God, tell him he's like he's. I was like, I told him I was like, I'm going to Ireland for this thing, blah blah. blah. And he's like, he's like, <laughs> he told me all these really not appropriate jokes. Um, and then he was like, he's like, he's like, do you drink Jameson? Then you're a Catholic. And he's like, you drink Tullamore Dew, you like whiskey. And I was like, give me Tullamore yes. Dew. 
And he's like, and he just fill it up like a whiskey glass, like to the top of the whiskey glass. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, yeah, and then and, a, like, and it's like four bucks. That's amazing. I know. So oh yeah. shit! You have. No I only like to tell him we're doing a bar in Chicago, and it's like seven dollars for like you know maybe a double. It's fucking horrible. This was our Friday but, afternoon every weekend in the summer. Every Friday. And it, it got bad because like, it's like it's too yeah. easy to just be like, oh, I'm just going to pound this Tullamore Dew, fucking pound this Guinness, go get me another. And by the yeah. by eight, you're only with $20 like, and you're destroyed. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs> I don't know where I am. <laughs> you're in your son's room drinking. <laughs> I am in my son's room. He wants to go to bed, but I told him he could had to wait. <laughs> That's good that you're delaying him for the podcast. Again, a winner of dadding. Yeah, you're definitely nailing this shit. Uh, But I I, I have to check this bar out. Yeah, now you've convinced me that I need to come to Rochester, which I never would have thought before. Bloomsday 2018, the Writers' Conference, we're calling it The Ladder. And uh, Brian Wood, who's uh, on our our two and three review podcast, and is like my absolute best friend here in Rochester, he... Will, is helping put it all together and he's fucking hilarious and amazing and you guys will get along so so well i'm there seriously extended i'm fucking there for Boom. the for the booze and i'll make up some bullshit about joyce if it means the drinking oh, dude tell them I, for I, I suggested and no one no one has officially rejected the idea that i start at 8 a.m it's 8 till 5 at 8 a.m till 5 i sit in a room drinking guinness and talking about ulysses the entire time if you're in with me, let's do this. Yeah. No, I could do that. Yeah, I, I haven't read Ulysses in a couple of years, but I'll, I'll familiarize myself with whatever. I let's do, well, whatever I can do. Ulysses, this. who yeah. gives a shit? Let's have an yeah. eight-hour jam session of Joyce oh my with God. Guinness. Yeah, well, you know, you had me at Guinness. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay, my man. god i'm totally down yeah I, I, i'm gonna remind you of this when you're sober oh no you don't have to i i'm i'm already gonna text everyone and tell them that you're in all right add I'm you in. the add you to the front list of the program i have six percent left <laughs> So we should shut off before my computer dies. I hate you, Matt. I hate you, Apple. Fuck you, Skype. Fuck you, Apple. That's pretty much my comments. Those are your closing comments. That's good. Fuck you, Apple and Skype. Yep. Love you, Whiskey. The best. You're the best. It's it is the best. It's just it's always warming and, and comforting. It's just the end of a day. And you know, it's, I've gotten to the point now where like my routine is to eat a shitload of food and drink whiskey because I have this theory that like it burns the food out of me. Oh, it totally does, dude. If like, you if, digest, I'm I'm with you. <laughs> so if I eat dinner like I did tonight and I just drink whiskey afterwards, like I lose weight in the morning, and I love that. Yes. Like, because like I, I go really to the gym and weigh myself, and I'm and I'm and I'm like, oh, good thing I drank the whiskey last night because I feel yep. thinner now. I'm super <laughs> obsessed with my weight to a point that's unhealthy. Um, but but uh, whiskey helps it. I lost five share, pounds in one day. Share the number. I'm one sixty five. Seriously? Yeah, five six though. Oh, I'm mostly muscular. I, I okay. I've lost a lot of weight. I used to be one ninety. No, I was two. I was like two hundred pounds easily. Five. I'm about five ten. Yeah, I was about two ten at one point. That seems that seems reasonable to me. No, it was huge. I was a big dude. I've lost a lot. I'm like one sixty now. So you one sixty? No, yeah. Fuck yeah. you. 
Well, but, but but I don't have. But you have muscle. I have like I'm like 160 and nothing. Like you know, I have no muscle. I work out a so. lot. Like I run a lot. I bike a lot. I biked 100 miles this past summer on a. Yeah, you don't don't the weight is not an indicator. It's the it's the it's the stamina. It's the fucking muscle that you should be looking at. That's what my doctor told me because I was all bragging about how much weight loss. He goes, "Yeah, but you might want to lift something every once in a while too." <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, like, no, I have really broad shoulders, which is problematic. I was in Spain. This is the last story. Then this is really gonna die. Um, in Spain, uh, all the t-shirts I was buying were like Spanish people t-shirts, so they like their shoulders are like a foot apart and like it, it just goes straight down so like everything like rides up like it's perfectly lengthwise totally fine and in the stomach is fine but like across the shoulders i'm like busting out of it i'm like goddamn hulk against the shoulders and for spain so you, so you only need to buy spanish t-shirts so you can feel like you're a fucking schwarzenegger i feel like a motherfucking amazing <laughs> human being i put those i wear those shirts every day just to be just to feel better <laughs> So this is before you die. I want to definitely announce that this has been the podcast with Chad the Rock Post. <laughs> That's who you are now. I'm going to weigh 112 pounds after all this whiskey. <laughs> See, just keep drinking and it'll be fine. You'll burn it all out. You're the best. This has been amazing. Uh, this has been, been so fun. fun. <laughs> Uh, I'll chat with you soon online and I June I'm down man let's do this absolutely you're in you are locked in all right go let your kids sleep for a change I know I know it's 10 he goes about eight <laughs> whatever it's uh, fucking yeah. the weekend it's character building. I think yeah, it's character building no it's not but you know no it's really is not school tomorrow who gives a shit oh he doesn't no thanksgiving. it's thanksgiving uh, slackers yeah i know like i i appreciate that though because then i can be like oh i can't go to work tomorrow either Take oh okay kids. well there yeah. you go yeah you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna sit in bed <laughs> sit in bed well they kill each other and play minecraft and i'm gonna read dahlgren <laughs> wow great you're really living the dream man i know <laughs> once your kids get old you don't have kids once your kids get oh. to a certain age you're just like oh this is amazing they can just go do their own thing I don't have to watch them. Their 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 livelihood does not depend on me. No, it's I, yeah, that sounds pretty amazing. I have a dog, and I'm always going to have dogs, which means that I have to like literally. You have to let be them home. Like, I have to plan my day around them. Mm-hmm. Like when am I coming home and things like that. Yep. Uh, which I thought would be easier than having kids, but I'm going to argue it's harder. I gave my kids a key, and that was good enough. Jesus, if I could do that with my dog, I'd be perfect. I never have to do anything. Okay, man. Let's talk soon. I'll be in touch, man. Take care. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, this is great.